here at Grace. Everybody awake this morning yeah. on this holiday weekend? Wow, isn't the summer gone fast? It's over. And here we are ready for school, ready for the fall. We're excited about that. Here at Grace, we have some things very excited about. Next weekend, we have our outdoor baptism, as uh, Jeff shared with you. And right now, at this point, we have over 80 that will be baptized. So we praise the Lord for that. Yes. Excited. So next week, I want to encourage you to come. We have the normal three services, and then we baptize after the third service. If you are interested in following the Lord in Believer's Baptism, you still have time. If you want to uh, call the church office, uh, set up an appointment with one of the pastors, or see one of us in the uh, room one after this service, we'll be glad to talk with you about that. Then also want to pray, I want to ask you to pray for us as we prepare to launch the ministry in Paulding County in September and be praying for the people there and all that, all the preparation and for the community that we can see people reach for Christ in Paulding County. We have started this uh, new series called Branded. Kevin kicked it off last week and uh, he explained that what a brand is, it's a permanent mark that is designed to show ownership. And we've chosen four different topics, there are more, but we chose four different topics to communicate what kind of characteristics or marks should come out of the believer's life that identifies us with who we belong to. So last week, Kevin talked about gratefulness. And of course, that's so important for us to be grateful for what God has done for us and the grace that he's shown upon us. Today, I want to talk about loving one another. And in preparation for this, I thought I would ask uh, my youngest daughter, Kelsey, who for the most part is loving. <laughs> I'm not going to trash on her right here. But... Uh, for the most part, she's loving. I said, what do you want to know about loving one another? What, would you, what do you need to be challenged in that? And she said that I think what happens is I think most of us think that we're good at loving people. I think we just think we're good at it. doesn't mean that we don't give it a, tr a try. But I think we think we're good. And there's just so much more to work on. I want to look at John chapter 13 and verse 34 if you want to turn there. Jesus gives a commandment about loving one another from John 13, 34. He says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all men will know, there's the brand, all men will know that you are my disciples. Before I break this text down, I want to just talk about the scene in which he gives it. He has spent three years with these disciples, preaching and teaching and performing miracles, and all that is now coming to an end. His public ministry is ended. The crowds, it's all gone. And he enters this private conversation with the disciples. And that you can read from chapter 13 through chapter 17. He shares and demonstrates many things that he wants to leave behind. 
And when you read this, there's two themes that kind of jumped out to me. First of all, he's wanting to, for them to know how much he loves them. But then also, you get from this, you, you read how that he is leaving them. You'd think in a time like this to communicate these things. You'd think he might be a little bit frantic. This is it. This is the last supper. This is the last time I'm going to say things to you. And that he might be worked up to tell them all these things. But you see a special calmness in Christ through this. Even though right under his nose, one of the 12 is going to betray him. He's totally aware of it. And also, all around him has been this angry religious crowd that wants to seize him and kill him and stop his influence. And then he has in his mind what's about to happen. And that is the government officials who... They don't even know what to do with him. Because when they look at his life, they see that there is no fault. And so they're passing him around. I would imagine if they had Twitter back then, that Twitter would be crazy busy with the chaos surrounding this time. And of course, he had in his mind the cross. He knew that soon he would be spit upon. He would be beaten. He would be mocked. And he would die and suffer a terrible death on the cross. You know, you would think that this time with them, that the disciples for three years, that they would get this message. They would understand that he loves them and that he's leaving them. Except what seems to be by their questions and their actions, they don't really get it. They're clueless. Why would you have to die? You're Messiah. You're supposed to stay and you're supposed to reign for us. But Christ calmly communicates some important things to them. Because see, he wasn't succumbing to all this. He was submitting for them and for us. And he takes this tender, private conversation with them. And he teaches them some things and demonstrates and gives some info that they're going to need. And one of those things is this commandment that she love one another. He kicks off by saying, I'm going to give you a new commandment. And why would it be new? In the Old Testament, he told us that the two commandments are that we are to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's new in the sense that the way that I'm supposed to love is to love like Christ's love. And no one loves like Christ loves. And I'm supposed to look at him as the new standard to how to love. And this idea of it being a commandment, why would he need to give Christians a commandment? We love Jesus, we should just automatically want to love one another. Why would he do that? You know, commandments are given for, for a special reason, and one of those reasons we're given a commandment is for us to know what God's will is. It's to align us up to his will. A commandment doesn't take away our choice. We can choose to break a commandment. But it's to align us up to say, this is the choice. So he's saying by this that there's some things that are just not natural. And we think we can be loving. And we think we are loving enough. But this commandment kind of points out to us 
that sometimes we love too comfortably, we love too conveniently, and we need to love like him, which sometimes isn't easy. You know, another reason for a commandment is that it communicates what's really important to God and what is on his heart and what he wants to communicate. And, you, and there's three things I thought about this. First of all, this particular commandment clearly serves God because it's about him. It's not about us. Sometimes we want reasons. Why, God, do you say that I can do this and that I can't do this? It's because in his commandment, he wants to be served. See, this commandment to love one another, Jesus is leaving. And he wants us to be his hands and his heart and his eyes for us to love on others. So we need to love others clearly just because it's for him. Secondly, this commandment serves others that God wants to be loved, whether I want to love them or not. It's not based on who I would choose to love. I am commanded to love others, and God wants to put a love through me for them. Plus, as it says in this verse, there's others that are watching, and our love is on display. Our love, and by the way, do you believe that people are watching us? They watch how Christians love. And they see our limits. They see our limits based on race, based on social status, based on moral performance, and based on what's easy for us. So all of that is visible. And so we need to, to obey this commandment for others to God, for, for God to love through us for others and because those are watching. And lastly, good reason for this obedience is it there is something that we're served in like i said it's not about us but we are served when we obey the lord in this command we get to learn and are invited to see some things about his love that's so high and so amazing we're also invited to learn something about his will because he may want someone he has a plan for someone who i easily would have given up on and thirdly, I think he wants us to discover some things about our love, that our love lacks, that our love isn't all that it should be. And so he commands this. But I know, and I'm sure you do too, if you are busy loving others, especially even loving others that are difficult, you know there's a unique blessing in it. You get a front row seat to watch how God works through this commandment. However, we must remind ourselves that we don't love others to get a result because you can love others with the appropriate truth, hard love, compassionate love, tearful love, and it still doesn't bring results that you want. They still may not love you nor love God. So we're commanded to love. Now, what is love? There's uh, too many ways to describe different ways we can love on each other. And there's too short a time. So just a couple things, some things from this passage that I think can help us on loving one another. First thing is, is that we need to get a new level of love. It seems like love has these qualities of quantity, of how much I love or how little I love. And it also has this quality of who or what the target is. Who do I love? 
And so Jesus in his life and in his death, it challenges us to make sure that we have a level of love like his. He demonstrates this right in this passage about with foot washing. And he is king. He is high. And yet he goes down and bends over and he serves and washes the feet of the disciples. The king serves and loves the servants. Pastor Kevin talks to us a lot of, about that concept here. And he tells us as leaders here, he tells us to make sure that you lead and make sure that you love. But mostly make sure that you do both. Don't lead and not love. And don't love and not lead. In other words, we need to calibrate our level of love and love like Christ did. Another way you demonstrate that is in the cross. How? Him being high, innocent, empties himself for those low or with sin. From little sinners to the biggest sinners. He died for all of us. So I need to look at that and calibrate my love to his level. There's an application here to just make sure that I don't think of myself so high that I fail to love someone. Or that I don't think that someone is not important to receive love. You say, well, there's exceptions. And there are some very difficult times that we're called to love someone and to be strategic about it and to be careful and to protect and to be safe and not to enable. But I think a lot of people rush to those right away. I can't love them because I'm going to enable them. And so we got to be careful. You seek wisdom. Take the time to research. It, it, it costs you time. But don't just quickly dismiss who you're going to love. We're so easy at times to disqualify people. Instead of working at maybe restoring them. And we're, we're very good at times of loving amazing. And I think this is where the deception comes of that. If I said, are you loving? We all say, yeah, we're loving. The deception comes is that we can pour amazing love on certain people in our life. You know, one person might come to you and ask for a favor. And you bend over backwards for that person. Another person asks for the same favor and may not have any expectation that you go very far. Just help them a little and you help them a little. There's something that you want to accomplish in loving this person a lot. And something you want to do less about in loving. You know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one in here? Am I talking to myself? My poor Wednesday night class has to listen to that all the time. Because I definitely have been there. So... We need to be careful of that. Secondly, we need to get a new list. We need to get a new list of what love is. You know, there's no list given here. Love one another. No list of what that is. Except we do have the blessing of looking at his life and his ministry, his teaching. We have that to go. A lot of things we can learn about how Jesus loved. But we also have the New Testament that gives so much more teaching about how we're to love and to love in the church and to love one another. We all have a list in a sense that is driven from within about how, from, from how we were raised. If we were raised in a good, loving home, that, that dictates a lot of our perception of love and how we love. But some of us were raised where there wasn't any love in our upbringing. And it was difficult. 
and it's hard for you to love, and you may not know how to love. And so we need a list. Do we really know what love is? And I thought there are plenty, plenty in scripture. I thought I'd give you one, and it's in your bulletin there. I put it in there for you, 1 Corinthians 13. And it's a tough list, but it says this. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. That's a great list to work from. When I look at that verse, that, that passage there, though I, I come away from that with some different ideas. First of all, it sounds like love is work. <laughs> And I don't mean that in a negative sense, because I think we'd all agree we love loving our family. And that's work. It's hard. But it's rewarding, and it's right, and it's good, and we're willing to do it. But it is work. Secondly, I come away from this is that love means to hold back at times. It says not provoked. In fact, if you noticed in there, there are eight times it tells you what love is not. And seven times what love is. So that means there must be some ways that I love that I hold back, that I'm not impulsive, that I have my will in check to properly love someone. Third thing I see in this is that love is small. And he uses the two words jealous and not counting wrongs. You guys remember eighth grade? Yeah? Wasn't that long ago for some? <laughs> some, we probably have some eighth graders in here today. You know, I remember eighth grade. It wasn't a great time for me. All of high school wasn't a great time for me, especially in the love area. But you know, I remember, you know, the going steady and all that kind of thing. I remember that the struggle with insecurity and the struggle with just petty smallness in love and counting and all that insecurity. You remember that? Does anybody remember what I'm talking about? And you know, eighth graders are not picking on you. At all. But this was a great list. And I wish someone would have shared something like this with me when I was that age so that I could see, I could learn some things about what love is for me, but also I could discern when others telling me they're loving me, whether they really are loving me. So there's a great list for you. But this list is not just for eighth graders. This list is for all of us. It points out that we all can be very guilty of some petty, small kind of love. Do you know people in the church can actually not love someone or do what they should do for someone because they're just simply jealous that something good is going on in that person's life and not going in, in, on in their own? You believe that? Yeah, it's that petty. So it's there for us. It's there for us to tune into. Love isn't small is what the passage is saying. Our love should, should not be small because we can never lift up anyone if we're small. Some say that there's a lot of small love in the church. But technically, you should really, we should expect that there's small love in the church. Some people just haven't grown. Some people may have never learned what it is to love. Some people have been burned by a lot of things that weren't very loving. What's bad is not that small love is here. It's just if we're all small or if the leaders are small. Somebody said this. They said, big love is to forgive but bigger love is to grant forgiveness whether we're asked to be forgiven or not. Sometimes a lot of walls up between people because a forgiveness has not occurred. 
Another thing I pull out of this is love has strength. It uses the terms bears and endures. I think we all would understand that if we want to have muscles and strength that we're going to have to work out. We're going to have to condition ourselves. If you want your love to be strong, you have to condition it. You have to go ahead and say, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to start giving. I'm going to start bearing. I'm going to start caring. I'm going to start praying for someone. I'm going to start listening and giving time to someone and start to exercise and condition that love. You know, we have an opportunity. It's not necessarily for all guys, but it's a, it's a, a guy's opportunity coming up next week called Fight Club. And Fight Club definitely known for the physical challenge that's put on the guys, but mostly for the challenge of love. Challenging guys, do you love God? Do you love your family? Do you love others? So a great opportunity. You might want to check that out. Starts next week. You know, in Grace Community Church, this is a church that's full of a lot of strong love. People that have been well-trained, they've gone through some of the tough stuff, they didn't allow bitterness to make them small. They said, God, help me through this. I want to be strong. Here at Grace Community Church is also weak love. People that have a hard time. People that hurt easily, very sensitive. People that have struggled because of trust issues. So all those kind of loves are right here. You know, when we counsel here... One of the things we do is we try to point people to God's love and how he loves. And if they're the victim, we say to them, just watch Jesus and his responses. Because no one has been wronged more than Jesus. And watch him and learn from him. And though that's great and good, a lot of people still have a hard time processing that. So another thing we do is we connect them to some of the, in a sense, the strong love personal coaches here in our congregation, people who have been through some tough stuff, people that have learned to cling on to God and therefore now can give hope and give specific instruction to help them and to gird them and help them through their problems. So I thank the Lord for that. Are we conditioning our love? And if our love is strong, you say, I'm a very loving person. Is your love available? Do you make it available for your church? You know, some people use the phrase, I'm in a rock in a hard place. And I think we've all been there. You ever been there? One thing about strong love is strong love has this ability to discern. It can discern whether a person's rock in a hard place is real or relative. They can look at that because I think we all would agree that sometimes when someone tells you, you're in a rock, they're in a rock in a hard place, you'd say, well, that wouldn't be a rock in a hard place for me. So it's kind of relative. But it's real to them. And a strong love has a way of discerning that. And they know how to kind of shatter and put some tough truth to help someone to say what you're hanging on, what you're hurting on, why your life is so hard is not that hard. It's not real. It takes some tough love to do that. And then some people, their rock and hard place is exactly a result of the choices that they have made. And they are reaping the consequences, and the consequences will not go away. And what strong love does for them, it can't remove the rocks or the hard places, but it can endure. It can be with them in spite of what they have to go through. And I watch that go on here in our congregation. I thank the Lord for it. One of the examples of very weak love, though, 
and seeing it more and more because of social media, is how Christians disagree with each other. Facebook has allowed a stage or other Twitter and so forth where we put out our beliefs and we're really, we really feel this way about something. And sometimes it may be exactly right and exactly true. But it's amazing how Christians can disassemble one another. See, to disagree can be very healthy. The process of debating is vital to us in our learning. We need to do this. But we don't need to disrespect each other and bash each other. And nothing worse than what that does for others who watch in on Christians tearing down each other. Amen? That's terrible, but it goes on. Yeah. We need to, we need to ask the Lord to help us with that, to not be weak in that. Lastly, I see in this passage that love has vision. There's two visionary words, that it believes and that it hopes. And this Last Supper speech is full of vision. For these disciples were going to change the world. These disciples were going to build the church. Were they ready for it? <laughs> Not hardly. Like Peter, just moments later, says, I'm loyal to you. And then not too long after, betrays the Lord. So they weren't, it wasn't an issue of being ready. See, Jesus doesn't call perfect men. He calls men to perfect them, to help them grow and to mature in their love. Paul teaches on this later in the book of Philippians. He says, for I am confident. In other words, I cast belief and hope. I am confident of this very thing, that he, speaking of God, which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And that's what believers should be doing. We see each other hurting, see each other struggling. We should be telling them and casting hope and faith that God has a plan. Though you've fallen on your face, God has a plan to work through this. He's perfecting you. Amen? See, all these men but one died for Christ. The one that didn't die for Christ suffered a lot of persecution. And it's actually John, the writer here. He died of old age. But the others, they loved him and served him with their life and lost it. because. Of, so he knew that. And he cast that belief and that hope in them. See, a key ingredient of loving others is to make sure that we tell them the truth, but that we give them hope as well. You know, Peter's formula, as you see later in the chapter, Peter's formula here, his idea of Christianity is, I'm so loyal to you. I want everyone to know that I'm a follower of Christ because I will never betray you. I am loyal. And I think a lot of churches use that formula. I think a lot of churches say, let's get our crosses out there. Let's set up our statues. Let's, let's do our rituals. Let's go ahead and, in a sense, put all our logos and emblems out there. We're followers of Christ. And what Jesus says if within your church, you're not loving on one another and taking that love in reaching the community, then you might as well close the doors. And you might as well take the brand off of you because you're not my disciples. So, Jesus casts vision. I want my disciples to love like I love them. So we need to work on our levels and our lists. And lastly, on this phrase, one another. 
We're supposed to love one another. What could that mean? Is that talking about just loving Christians? Is it exclusive in some way? See, basically, when he says love one another, there's a priority going on here. He's saying, I want you to love each other like a family loves each other. A good loving family does spend all the special attention to their family, but others are always welcome in. It's not in any way saying there needs to be a click. So, you know, humans thrive in loving environments, not in perfect environments because there are no perfect environments. But a loving family is not perfect, but it knows what to do with its imperfections. It knows how to forgive. It knows how to bear and how to believe and how to hold each other up. I love my church family. I delight on the opportunity to be here. When I came here 10 years ago, I was in an extreme valley of my life. And I didn't think I would be here long. I thought we were just going to be passing through for a little bit. But this church has been so good to love on my family. You've been so good to my kids and to us. And I thank the Lord for that. And I love working with you. I love working amongst the church family. I love all the projects. I love all the different things and helping and so forth. It is such a blessing to watch. I get from that position, I get an opportunity to see, see some of you go to the hospitals and love on each other there or to take meals to each other or to offer to assist and help someone like yesterday watching several members help someone in our church move, give their time for that. We all get to watch people pour their gifts Often from this stage here, pour their gifts to loving their church family with the things that God has blessed them with. And there are a ton of people who are loving on their church family by serving behind the scenes. I love to watch all this. Some of you have done so much for one another. We're a healthy church. I've been in unhealthy churches. But there's no way especially from this passage that we can crown ourselves as arriving. There is much to do in our love for one another. God has allowed the church to grow and people are coming in and need to know what it is to feel and experience a family. And sometimes that's not easy in a bigger church, but there's lots of opportunities here to do that. I want to give you a couple applications as I wrap up. How can you get more involved in in, in loving in the family and being involved there. First of all, just taking a little effort, you could come a little earlier to church and come for the purpose of mingling. <laughs> we have coffee and tea, we got areas to do that and so forth, that'd be good. And then maybe a little bit more effort on this one. When you come to church, you can change where you sit. <laughs> Pin drop. There's so many neat people to get to know here. So try that one. You know, we just had the big chicken dinner. And something I kind of notice when we do our big gatherings is that some people, some families will just go and sit at, at a table. And um, what I want to encourage you to do is take your family and go sit at a table with another family. And you say, oh, no, I can't do that. I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm a little backward with that. Well, maybe they'll talk to you, you know. <laughs> 
So there's different ways. Another way to get involved, a little bit more effort, is to join a Bible study or to invite someone out for dinner or to invite someone to come over to your home or get involved in some card sending or making phone calls and encouraging. In other words, what I'm saying is you could look for ministry and you make the connection. And we hope that always goes on here at Grace. And it does. So you can do that. Another that takes a little bit more effort still is that you let us connect you. We have a class like 301 that you come and we learn a little bit about you and what God is, how he's wired you up and what your, what your gifts are. And then we connect you in some serving team so that you can participate on loving your church family and loving through ministries that reach out into our community. And then with even more effort, the most effort is for you to dedicate yourself to be called on. One of the things we do as pastors is trying to, and trying to love on the congregation is we do this connecting where needs are. And we know who is available. We know who has skill or resource for something to help this particular need. One of the ways you can help your congregation and love on your family is to make yourself available. Let your pastors know, hey, if this ever comes up, call me. I can help. I have people do that. They say, anyone ever needs a ride? Call me, I'll, I'll help. That goes on, but that list could expand. And so we can get ourselves even further involved. You know, much has changed since Jesus has spoken these words. A lot has changed. Society has changed. Technical stuff has changed. Technology, churches have changed. But pretty much people are still the same. Right after he shared this and after he left, in the book of Acts, you see the first church kind of kicking off. Thousands are saved, they're baptized, added to the church, they're meeting in homes. But the persecution starts, and some of them were being kicked out of their families because they were following Christ. And a huge amount of need then came up that some didn't have jobs, and they needed, in a sense, the church provided a lot of that social care for them. So you see that in Acts chapter 3 through 6. But if 500 years from now, if the Lord doesn't come back and every grandmother in the congregation has some kind of mobile device and pastors have space cars to make visits to Mars, even then there still will be a need to love people. But today, right now, there's a lot of gray in our, in our world today. There's a lot out there. There's a lot that's changing and it's difficult and right now we need to be available it's in a sense we owe our society the truth and we owe it to them in love don't let society look at the church because they're hurting and they need love don't let them look at the church and say i don't want to be a part of the church because they don't know anything about love or i couldn't find love there we need to be available for them we need to also, with that process, make sure that we're fostering and protecting the environment here. And we know how to put out things that are growing into trouble. Last week I went uh, on vacation. We were out in Maryland and we spontaneously decided to go down into D.C. And I've always wanted to go to the Holocaust Museum. You ever been there? Really encourage you to go once at least. So we went there, and it was really well laid out on how 
they talked about how the Nazis were able to accomplish all these atrocities. And one of the elements, one of the displays was saying one of the reasons for their success is that they counted on the bystander. The word was right up on the wall, bystander. And that, that struck me. I thought, what is this? So I went to look at it. And it explained that they were calculating that people would be too afraid and too inconvenienced to do anything about the evil they were doing. And one of the examples was they marched over 4,000 prisoners 83 miles across the Polish countryside. And I was just trying to process that. And I was thinking, what if that happened in Northwest Ohio? Would we do anything? Would we be too afraid? Would we be too inconvenienced to step in and help? And the truth is, if we don't love sacrificially, evil is going to advance. So the challenge for us is not to be a bystander. Here at church, let's connect into this commandment and make sure that we are involved in loving on our church family, available to love on our church family. You know, this is one of those commandments that we will never carry out perfectly, but we need to be guilty of pursuing it until he comes. We want the Lord, when he comes, to find us really busy loving on one another. Jay's going to come and sing a song. And I really want you to pay attention to the, to the lyrics. It talks about that love in our family and how... We want to be seen when he comes. Let's not have so much intention to love. Let's get busy doing that. As he said, that all men will know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. And I do pray, Lord, you'd help us. What a great commandment you've given us. Father, I pray that we would search our hearts to align ourselves with the kind of love that you have given to us, may we give to one another. I pray you'll bless each and every one here today and help us. In Jesus' name.